and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Shannon. And I'm Nick. And we're your co-hosts. So today, I'm covering a great little plant friend, kind of like an iconic friend to witches, magicians, sorcerers throughout history, Vervain or Verbena, because it's technically Verbena officinalis, even though we think of lemon Verbena when we think of Verbena. So... So this but is it's just fun. this is OG verbena. OG verbena and also it's like so perfect for what you're going to be talking about. So I it was one of those plants where when I researched it I was like I don't personally really use this but now I'm like oh shit I got to get me some. So yeah, I got to get the, okay. <laughs> well, we'll save that. We'll save that for when we're talking about it. But I'm continuing our second trip around the wheel of the year. Can we believe this people? Second trip around the wheel of the year. It's Litha again. It's Lit Litha. Lit Litha. We're here. I'm excited. I think midsummer is always an interesting time. I mean, I feel like the puck energy is about. Oh, yeah. Like my Llewellyn. Yeah, I was just going to say my Llewellyn calendar, like every month has like a ritual spell. And the one for this month is for summoning puck. Love that. Um, Right. But yeah, it's like Gemini season. We've got a few, like a week and a half more of Gemini season. And then we're going to get into like the summertime sadness with cancer. Summertime sadness, cancer. Yeah, it always makes me think of um, Lana Del Rey. I was going to say it's Lana Del Rey season. Exactly, exactly. Um, But Nick, when did you feel magical this week? It's been a like wild week astrologically. So how have it, how's it been feeling for you? It has been a completely wacky week astrologically. Um, I will start by saying that I did not sleep the night before last. Um, I've been feeling very restless and very like, meh. But I was like, okay, you know, it's like, I'm not gonna get wasted. I'm not gonna get like so stoned. I'm just like, I'm, you know, like, I'm just gonna like ride this wave, right? Yeah. And so ultimately that's what I did. But I ended up watching this show, which is like a French documentary about um, the Silk Road. And it ended up being this incredible thing of like, I actually have a lot of good ideas for future episodes of the podcast because of it. And I was just like, you know, I just felt really in tune. You know, I feel like as a witch, as a life, I've been this kind of like lifelong insomniac. And so sort of as an adult, there's this thing of like, yeah, I'm going to drink, I'm going to get stoned, I'm going to like put myself to sleep, instead of just kind of like, letting that natural cycle happen. Yeah, which for me does really, you know, it's like, I'm a loony. And by by which I mean, I'm like, so tied up in the phases of the moon where it's like really when like the full moon is coming and like the moon has kind of been in Scorpio the last couple days so it's been very like broody kind of energy but it's like the full moon's coming like I'm not gonna sleep and I can actually kind of be productive and yeah I mean it's like evolutionarily speaking it would not have been ideal if everyone was on the same sleep schedule Right, but like I, but you know, it's like I really felt like in my power. I was like, it's yeah. late at night. I'm learning. I'm like, you know, I'm like, staying sober, and I'm just like, I, I just felt very plugged in. I felt very plugged in. Lean in. I love that. I love what, that. What, what What about you? Well, um, this week has been has been strange feeling. Like I have been feeling the weirdness of all of the planetary shifts right now. I mean, I think also. Kind of like what you were talking about last week, like magic isn't always all love and light. I think obviously learning where I have power and where I don't has been a big challenge for me as a Virgo, but also just recognizing that like, I am a very Saturnian person, Saturn rules my chart, understanding that like the long, the slow, the study is going to be my vibe. That's been a big like learning curve for me this week, but on another like magical side, I have been reading this great book called um, Wild Magic, and it's by Dan Danu Forrest. I think it's Danu Forrest, um, but it's about Celtic magical traditions. And I kind of had like a oh shit aha moment, you know, like a light bulb, but not always in a fun way because I got to the section where they were talking about your fetch, and 
how your fetch could appear to other people. And it really made me sort of reevaluate all this kind of joking I've done over the years about Dream Shannon being an asshole. I'm like, oh, do I actually need to do some like work with my fetch? Like, is that what's happening here? And I've kind of just been like laughing this off and not addressing this like potentially challenging part of my spiritual evolution because I come from a long line of very Celtic peoples so you know it wouldn't I feel like it wouldn't be unheard of for me to have like a strong present fetch because of my ancestral lineage and knowing that my fetch might just be prancing around in people's dreams and causing chaos is like uh uh-oh maybe I actually do need to do some work here and what I will say is interesting with that is that as someone who does remember most of their dreams and like works with dreams a lot yeah not everyone shows up in dreams like I have people Mm -hmm. that I've known for years my whole life their whole life whatever that have never actually shown up in any of my dreams you have shown up in a lot of my dreams um there's like other people like I can think of people that have shown up in my dreams that I can think of a lot of people that have just like never never shown their face in a dream so yeah which I do I do kind of wonder about because it's like truly like I don't think I've ever seen a single one of my siblings in a dream actually that's a lie Shanley has been in one of my dreams yeah I think the only sibling I've dreamt about has been like Leslie post her death which Mm -hmm. has been a whole other side of like working with new recent deceased ancestral magic but yeah, it's like you show up in my dreams. I have dreams about you and I have dreams once in a while about Eric. I probably dream about you more frequently than I do Eric. And well, I mean, you know, it's we've been friends for one million years. It's fine. We're basically yeah, siblings true. at this point. I do think it was funny, though, actually, when we did when they made that um that birthday slideshow for your birthday party oh yeah (laughs) and it's like I was in like every picture and then Eric was in like five of the pictures but it's truly it's just like we just been friends that long and I I think I I have to say I have to give Eric so much credit for being such an incredible sport um about our like platonic soulmate relationship that yeah um, he's very he's very much included in that um yeah I think it's also the thing where I don't know that I could have ever partnered with someone who didn't accept it because it's like just such a poor part of who I am um but yeah so I guess just on the magical side though just realizing that sometimes like things that happen over and over again are maybe trying to tell you something even if it seems a little innocuous and just like the fact that those synchronicities and like the fact that my my dream persona has consistently been a dick to people in their dreams and it's not you just would you not you would not help me get out of that underground hospital yeah like and so it's like what and i'm like maybe my fetch needs some healing you need like, some you, you need to work on something honey because that yeah. underground hospital was scary and you would not you need you would not let me out and it's like okay well thank you for coming to visit me in the creepy underground hospital i guess that i'm trapped in and you will not help me escape but um, yeah all of that to say let's learn about vervain let's learn about vervain and because I, really- I, I actually i want to add a part two to when did i feel magical this week because what i will say is um are we in heat or are we on heat like like it's a drug you know what I mean and that's kind of how I feel with Gemini with literally it has been 100 degrees for like a week and I am literally I I feel like my skin is clear and I'm just like feeling like really hot like um figuratively and literally and Nick is having a beautiful moment so and then um i i have two dates this week because i'm uh being a whore on my phone so because you're thriving you're 30 30 and thriving um i will say up top you might notice more mouth noises than normal for me i am trying but i just got invisalign so i have been told that the weird mouth stuff will go away as i get used to it but if you're someone who is averse to mouth noises or lispy sounds I just, I apologize. I'm doing my best. Um, But, Vervain. 
Verbane, Verbena officinalis. Um, it's a super, super witchy plant, but it's also heavily associated with litha. So of course, like that's what we chose this week. But I also wanted to share some of the really cool common names for this plant just to sort of set the stage for how cool it is. So of course we've got Vervain, Ash Throat, Verbine, Enchanter's Plant, Herb of the Cross, Herba Sacra, Herba Veneris, Herb of Grace, Holy Herb, Juno's Tears, Mercury's Moist Blood, Pigeon's Grass, Pigeon Weed, Simpler's Joy. You get the picture. I, I have to say, Mercury's Moist Blood is my um, favorite. Moist. What does, why? What does that mean? I don't know. But all, it's all blood is wet. I I just I have would to say, as a, so. as a biologist, um, we've come to the conclusion that all blood is wet, except, like, dry blood. So that's that's your science corner moment. All blood is wet, except for the dried ones. So <laughs> um, this plant is native to Europe, Western Asia, and North Africa. But like a lot of the plants we talk about that are used medicinally, like and have been historically, it's since been naturalized all over the place at this point. But also, and we'll talk a little bit about some of the uses of it. There's an American vervain, it's blue vervain, that's a cousin to this plant that actually has a lot of similarities for how it was used by like the native peoples of America and Europeans and people of the Asian continent. But this plant, what does it look like? It's a perennial plant. It's got dark green leaves with toothed lobes. It gets about like one to two feet tall and has these really cute, tiny, pale lavender five-petaled flowers. hey witchy flowers. We love a five-petaled girl. And they're perched on top of the plant in a spike. And the stems are on this, the stems on it are really thin. They almost look wiry. And the way it branches out in the upper portions, because it's kind of wiry, it almost looks like a bit diamond shaped because it like kind of comes out and it branches out and then it like falls in a little bit on itself with the flowers. It's cute. But even though the stems are almost square, they're not part of the mint family. Like it might look like it's Lamiaceae, but it's not. Interestingly enough, also, it doesn't have a super strong scent, which is something else to just be aware of. Like if you're trying to forage for this, you're going to need to get familiar with what it looks like. So the associations between this plant and magical people goes way back, like way, way back. Pliny the Elder, good old Pliny, highlighted some ethnobotany about this plant, and he wrote that the Gallic peoples used two different varieties for soothsaying and predicting the future. But because Pliny was also kind of a dick, he added that, and I quote, he viewed this act as a display of the idiocy of magicians who attested that if one rubbed oneself with the plant, they'd obtain the object of their desires, keep away fever, secure help in repairing friendship, and cure every disease. Meh, fuck off, Pliny. I'm sorry that you weren't cool enough to hang out with the hot witchy people. Truly, yeah, like, like you're so jealous. Right? I'm like, oh, this is a guy that didn't get invited to the orgy. And he's mad about it. So ancient magicians who gathered the herb, um, they would do it through like specific rituals, right? They also, though, did assert that banqueting couches um, sprinkled with infused vervain water would promote a good mood amongst company. And a use that I also really liked um, was Pedanius Dioscordius, like, was one of the people who also wrote that the druids had used vervain in lustral water, which is like basically a druid version of holy water. So we get like some people talking about the druids using it. Um, in Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs, he does say that there's some resources that say that like when they were like leveling up, druids would be crowned with vervain, but we have to kind of take some of that stuff with a grain of salt because, you know, the Druids didn't write stuff down. So this is all second hand, third hand, fourth hand, many hands away from the actual sources. But I do like the idea of using it to sort of create a version of like sanc like sanctified water, holy water. Um, in French, Vervain is still called uh, Herbe Saucière, so the herb of sorcerers. In ancient Rome, it was used in both, you know, sacred rites, but also political rights. So 
when envoys would be sent to like commune with the enemy during battle, they would actually hold like little bouquets of the plant. But it was also used to do things like cleanse Jupiter's table and cleanse like your home and your like hearthstone. So it had this like very dual purpose use in Rome. And in Wales and the Isle of Man, it's still known as like the wizard's herb or Eliasire Hithel. I think I said that right. I've been trying to get better at Welsh pronunciation. So um, Welsh friends, please tell me how much I fucked that up and give me some pointers. I, I do, again, though, think it's fascinating that here in America, blue vervain is also associated with magic by some tribes. So like the Iroquois historically would use a cold infusion of smashed vervain leaves to make an obnoxious person leave. So I'm like, keep that one in your back pocket. Um, yeah, jotting that one down for later. Absolutely. Yeah, you got a weirdo who won't leave the party, <clears throat> who's just hanging out with your fucking cat and won't get out of your house. Vervain. So growing it, though, is pretty straightforward, which is always good news, right? The best way to go with this is going to be planting seeds in late summer or early fall so they can have that like winter to enjoy their cold stratification. The soil does need to be really well draining, but they can either be in like full sun or even partial shade. So if you're looking for a spot in your like garden bed or your lawn, you're really going to want to focus on finding the right soil before you find the place with the most sun. So that's going to be the priority here. Also, when you're watering it, it doesn't like to dry out, so you do need to keep it moist, but please be careful to water it at the base of the plant. If you get water all over the leaves and the flowers, it can cause disease. If there are big droplets on it, it can sometimes cause leaf burn during the sun because like the big droplets can act like magnifying glasses. But really the biggest issue there is like causing disease, things like um, mildew, like powdery mildew from all the moisture. So really you should be watering most of your plants at the base. Just anyway, but to harvest it, you're going to want to harvest it right before it flowers. And this is the same time you're going to want to like harvest it for drying it or for using it fresh, because that's when the chemical constituents in it are at their most potent. It does need to be gathered earlier in the summer before the stems are totally dried out if you're planning to use it for juicing. So like, I don't know, maybe around litha, <laughs> you could be harvesting it. That's crazy. Isn't that wild? But let's talk about the medicinal uses of this very popular plant. I mean, disclaimer, I'm not a doctor. Nick's not a doctor. This podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat anything. Like, please talk to your physician. Don't take medical advice from podcasters. You don't know us. That's weird. You don't know us. That's weird. Yeah. Talk to your doctor. So for ages, like literally since like the first century CE, this has been a plant that's been hailed as a cure-all. And we know historically people will say cure-alls cure nothing, and that's mostly true. But in herbalism, sometimes a cure-all is still really good for most of what ails you. So I love, there's a bunch of stories in the herbarium blog I was reading on this about this researcher that was in Italy in Pompeii in the 90s. And he walks up to this Italian man who's like, they're just gathering mullen and vervain. And this Italian guy tells the researcher that vervain is the best of all medicinal plants. It would cure all maladies. And in French, it's also commonly known, known as a herbe or an herb for all ailments. Even in Eastern medicine, like it's used really broadly. So with that in mind, we're going to touch on like some of the most common indications for using vervain, but like this is no way even close to exhaustive. So the most common use is for infections. And a lot of, you know, there's been limited scientific research, but a lot of that limited research has really been focused on this, like the antimicrobial, anti-inflammatory and analgesic actions. It's almost like when we entered this era of like antibiotic resistant diseases, scientists were like, Oh, shit. Yeah, plants can help with that, too. Right. So there have been a lot of like really promising results, though, in these studies. So they have found that the stems of the plant are the most potent against bacterial strains. But in some of these studies, the vervain stems outperformed amoxicillin against some bacterial infections. So like, that's pretty badass. But it's also vulnerary, so it helps heal the wounds as well, right? So it's like antimicrobial and antibacterial and helping heal the wounds sounds good to me. And those powers combined is why you'll sometimes see it recommended for maladies of the mouth. So think like bleeding gums. 
as recently as 2016, they did a double blind study that showed good results, like when patients use vervain for chronic gingivitis. So that's a good, a good thing to think about. You can also use a gargle of it for mouth ulcers. If you're like me and it's summertime and you're like, no, there's nothing wrong with eating a bushel of fucking tomatoes because I'm insane. And then your mouth is on fire. Maybe some vervain can help with that. Well, you know, I actually want to jump in here and say that I currently have a giant ulcer in my mouth, not from eating too much acidic food, but because my dumb ass, I'm very beautiful, um, ate baked pasta right out of the oven and oh. uh, burned the inside of my mouth. But okay, I do just want to share this story though, because it was the, you know, when you get that little, like a little burn blister on the inside of your mouth. Yeah. And then it just, you know, kind of pops and goes away. Well, this was like my, the whole inside of my cheek. So I'm actually like dying. Oh my God. Ow, get you some I, vervain. Yeah, I, I'm like, I truly could have used this knowledge like three days ago. Because it's also used for pain management. And Nick, this right. herb is like so for you because specifically it's also used for headaches. So the Iroquois, the way they would do it is they would make a poultice of the cut wet root of blue vervain and like apply it to cool the head. Um, it's also been used to treat fevers as far back as the first century. So the herbalist Peter Holmes, not Pete Holmes, the, com the comedian, although I do love him, suggests pairing it with linden, black whorehound, and lavender if you're trying to use it to treat fever and pain. But I thought, fun fact, the, you know, cousin to vervain, blue vervain, was used in America during the Revolutionary War when quinine wasn't available to treat malaria. Because, you know, the hallmark of malaria is like sporadic fever, pain, chills. They would use blue vervain when they couldn't get the quinine. Um, it is also closely associated with the kidneys and the liver. This is a bitter plant. So anytime a plant tastes bitter, you're almost always going to see it associated with the kidneys and the liver. And it's been used for things like breaking up stones, expelling gravel, or even to deal with dropsy. And these indications like... They go all the way back to Roman antiquity, but even today, you know, when that researcher went out to Pompeii in the 90s, the, like, workmen were using it to purify their urine. So I love when we find these things that have, like, a through line in history, so I think that's fun. But one of the, like, biggest, most popular uses, you know, we've talked so much about it being a cure-all, is as, like, a wide-spectrum plant to help bring your body into balance, Right. Because sometimes when you're, you know, not feeling well, you'll have like a bunch of seemingly unrelated complaints that are really all sort of like tying back to some imbalance in the body. Or, you know, if if you subscribe to the same things that I do, it could also be like related to a spiritual imbalance, something magically imbalanced in yourself. So, you know. Um, if you want to use it as a strengthening tonic, you'd take low doses over an extended period of time. So that's kind of the way that you go with anything that you're using as a tonic. So for example, that's how I take nettles. I drink nettle tea like every day. I just started a Bacopa regimen. So I'm, I will report back, but allegedly it's supposed to be uh, really good for your like memory because I, I have a shit memory. So we'll see how that goes. But anyway, it is worth noting uh, that the most common thing you'll see it like the most common indication, so specific thing that you'll see it suggested for is for its like use as a nervine. And that that connection to the nervous system doesn't show up in antiquity, but we start seeing it more prominently like in the mid 18th century. Also, um, Parkinson talked about using vervain for Parkinson's disease. It is worth noting here, though, that like the American blue vervain is said to be a much stronger nervine than the European variety. So I'm going to call it here for medicinal uses, but I'm not kidding. Like this one literally could go on and on and on. Like it's also good for the lungs, possibly for cancer, for treating chronic, like chronic fatigue and other metabolic issues, yada, 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 yada. So let's talk about the magical uses though, shall we? Uh, this lovely, lovely lady is associated with the planet Venus, the earth element, and quite a number of deities, including Caridwin, Mars, Venus, Aradia, Isis, Jupiter, Thor, and Juno. 
it's associated with magics of, you know, love, protection, purification, peace, money, sleep, and healing. And because we have seen that it's so much of an all-purpose medicinal herb, it makes sense to me that it's used for like a slew of magical purposes as well. I mean, that purification goes like right back to the roots in Rome. So it's a great candidate to add to like smoke cleansing bundles or even like cleansing sprays or floor washes, whatever you're using most commonly to cleanse things. Also, if you're someone who likes to do like charging or cleansing under the moon, you can also make like herb beds for things to sit on under the moon uh, to give them a little extra oomph or even just using the herb beds if you need something cleansed between like the new and the full moon. You can, of course, like add it to your money or prosperity spells, like go ahead and sprinkle some in your money bowl. You can also carry it as an amulet though. And I love the idea of making jewelry using these pretty little flowers so like if you're someone who works with resin like come on also let me know if you do this and then want to sell some the venusian vibe of course is bringing in the love so you can add it to self-love baths or really any other like related rituals for love and with healing and protection this is a great additive to a sleep sachet if you're working on astral projection and on the protective properties, like, I think that makes it a great candidate for going under the doormat. So there you go. Double drink, everybody. And my favorite use, though, that I saw today was for using it when confronting someone who you know who stole from you. So the way you're supposed to do this is, like, wear vervain and then confront the person. And then you're said to surely regain possession of the stolen items. And so... I wouldn't trust it with like big ticket things, but if someone stole something small or even like took an idea from you or like took credit for something you did, how fun to like bring a little vervain to like boost your power when you have that awkward conversation. But overall, like this is a plant that has a ton of uses and I'm planning to, and I recommend like adding it to your home, like witchy apothecary, because it's nice to have a few herbs like this. Same reason I love rosemary that you can use for a bunch of different things because we're all busy. We're all on a budget. Nobody has time to have like 8,000 different herbs that do very specific things. Find yourself some good, like very versatile plants, and then just incorporate those into a bunch of different magic. It also has like the added benefit of you being able to get to know the plants, like spirit a little bit better. Um, so my sources today were of course, Herbarium, Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs, and plantcaretoday.com. Well, love that. And before we move on to talking about the Sabbath, let's talk about maybe if people wanted to get in touch with us, how they could go about yeah. doing that. Oh my God, guys, it's so easy. Open up your Instagram app. In the little search, type wands and fronds pod, all one word. Boom. There we are. You can That's message us. us there. Yeah, hit us up. Fo follow and us. Actually, Comment one of my favorite things I will say is that um when I'm commuting, I love to hop on our Instagram and respond to any messages that we get. So it's definitely something that we stay active on because I do take yeah. public transportation to work. So I have about an hour and a half every day where I can like get at those messages and say, hey, to you guys. So feel free to hit us up there. But then also it's so easy, you guys because we've made it so easy for you because we love you and if you want to email us because you're old school and we do love an old school kickback with a patio lady even um once and fronts pod at gmail.com is where you would do that and then oh, so if you simple. really really loved us you could join our patreon for as little as five dollars a month you get to watch the video which you know i'm just going to lean in here and say hello to all of you watching the video but you also kind of get a little bit of a more unedited unhinged even kind of like <laughs> a fun look at the making of the podcast yeah the podcast goes through a little bit more editing when it gets up for the audio version so if you want to see us in all of the weird shit that we do uh this is the way to do it plus y'all shit's not free it costs money to make a podcast but you know if you don't got the money and we respect we get that times are hard inflation's fucking bonkers there's a really free way Truly to support free. us 
truly absolutely free uh just log on to the podcast app that you listen on and rate review subscribe and download the episodes so itunes you can leave written reviews uh but on spotify you can now do like star ratings i think a lot of places you can do star ratings so really just go show us some love everywhere and nick has a very special offer Oh, I'd love to talk about that. So if you guys go to your little Apple podcast page and you write a review, and I've actually, we've come up with something that we think is really going to knock people's socks off when they see it. Uh, It's, this is a good podcast, five stars. Um, Yes. And if you leave that review, I will do a one card tarot pull for you. So. Love, love. Do um, it do it do it now um but let's talk about litha yes i'm stoked this is a good one this is this is a good one so we're here it is it is june 14th at the time of recording so it is very very close less than a week even or like exactly a week perhaps away from the summer solstice which is when we celebrate litha Um, But you guys may remember that we started this podcast really strongly during Samhain week, um, did a whole cycle of the Wheel of the Year already. And so this second time around, we are looking at the Sabbaths throughout history. So for those of you that are emerging from a cave and somehow the first thing you were doing is listening to this episode of the podcast. First uh, of all, welcome back to the light. (laughs) Welcome back to the light. Um, let's talk a bit about Litha, the Sabbath. So basically, it is a celebration of the summer solstice in the Northern Hemisphere. This is the um, winter solstice in the Southern Hemisphere, aka the shortest day of the year. Um, and symbolically, this is both a celebration of the sun's energy. Yay, we're partying. We're having a good time. Like, truly think of the movie Midsummer. Um, But there's also a bit of a warning. And the days are going to get shorter from here on out. And this is a great time to start to think about planning for that. Um, But it is a lively time of year. So celebrations do often include music and dancing. And of course, lots of being outside to take in all of that glorious sunshine. We're observing the sun. We're looking at shadows. We're watching the sunset even, which is great. and yes, you can wear a flower crown and live your Florence Pugh fantasy. And on that note, kind of just like really lingering for a moment on modern Litha celebrations or Midsummer if you're Scandinavian, because Midsummer is based on a real Scandinavian holiday that takes place on the summer solstice. Um, you can do a maypole. They do that in the movie as well. But it's not called a maypole. It's called something incredibly consonant dense that means like summer stick though so summer stick it just doesn't have the same ring as a maypole no uh but it sounds cooler in scandinavian but really i was like nope not even gonna do it um because i'm what lazy so but okay for the history of it all litha is great because as we all know lots of history happened outside of europe So outside of the context of Eurocentric paganism, we can look at the celebrations of the solstice, which have been a worldwide phenomenon. So with all of that out of the way, obviously to go really deep into recorded history, we're going to be looking at Mesopotamia. I know. know. (laughs) Uh, And yes, it is time to take a drink, but um, the Mesopotamian slash Babylonian summer solstice really leaned into the bleakness and the warning of it all. Um, and there's really actually some high drama acted out as part of the Mesopotamian summer solstice celebration. So some background here is that the Mesopotamians did have a sort of general all-purpose sun deity called Samish. But the Mesopotamians were fully aware that the sun did different things at different times of the year leading them to believe that Samish was a multi-aspected god, and eventually they did deify the different aspects. So, without further ado, that is where we get 
Nurgle, who is the god of the underworld. Why is the god of the summer sun the god of the underworld? Because droughts, famines, wildfires, big causes of death in Mesopotamia. So they have this less fun and frivolous view of summertime and more of like the desert is trying to kill you always. Like the bleakness of the dry world is all around you. Living in California during a drought, I feel that. Right. So they're like scared of the sun. They're like, they do, you know, it's, it's really, it's very, very bleak. And, you know, it's literally takes the form of a funeral because they viewed the solstice as Nurgle symbolically killing this fertile, life-giving, vegetation-loving, sort of the spring aspect of the sun, Tammuz, which Tammuz is married to Ishtar. And um, when Nurgle kills Tammuz and takes over for the summer, um, Ishtar mourns uncontrollably. So if we were in Mesopotamia, we would celebrate the summer solstice with a week-long festival, but it's not a festival. It actually mirrors like a high-profile funeral that you would do for a chieftain, a king, a high priest, that kind of thing. Um, Can I just like, I'm loving this summer goth idea. It really, it really is summer goth. Um, so we have like a statue of Tammuz basically lying in state. So for everyone that doesn't know about lying in state, so think, you know, it's like when they laid out Vladimir Lenin in the Kremlin for like 50 years after he died. Um, that is lying in state. So it's like putting the body in a public place so that the mourners can come mourn. Um, and, but then they, and this lasts for basically a week. And then at the end, we have an actual funeral procession. So we're going to the graveyard. Um, and then the women are of the, the city or town are recreating this uncontrollable grief that Ishtar is going through. So we've got like women like pouring out into the streets and like sobbing, like, you know, like breaking down, like crying, like on all fours on the ground, like heaving their sort of heartbreak into the dirt. That sounds like so cathartic though. I truly, truly, truly. But so yes, a bit grim, a bit dramatic, but also like 4,000 years old, and therefore the first recorded instance of a summer solstice celebration. And yeah, it's summer goth. It's a funeral. Um, Spring is dead. The vultures are coming. The desert is... The sand is creeping in under your door as we speak. Sandstorms. Shy Halud is coming for you, bitches. Um, But let's lighten the mood lighten the mood you know it's um the longest day of the year uh i don't know if that's technically a pun but we're lightening the mood we're gonna see I how call one it, i call it a dad joke and i'm it's a dad it. joke um and how would one go about celebrating a summer solstice in let's just say egypt also very a very ancient place um and let's just say it could not be more different than the mesopotamian ver- slash babylonian version Uh, So to start with, obviously, a culture of sun worshippers could be counted on to make a big do out of the sun's biggest day. And actually, this was New Year's for ancient Egyptians. So yes, a very big deal indeed. But here's why else the solstice was a big deal in Egypt. So the yearly flooding of the Nile coincides with solstice And they relied on this to nourish their fields. So a very big deal indeed. And I personally like this, but this is like a goddess holiday. So it's New Year's, but the triad of goddesses represented by Hathor, Isis, and Newt were responsible for rebirthing the world on the new year. So when you first see the star Sirius rising over the horizon, that marks the exact moment of the new year and when the celebrations would start. Um, but it also conveniently does coincide with the solstice. So it's- I, I love seeing like a feminine 
like a feminine energy tied to a solar holiday. That's really cool. It really is cool. And so, of course, like the sun god Ra is a man. But actually, this festival, this like New Year's festival is not based on the sun at all. It's like truly about Sirius, um, which is in um, Canis Majoris. It's like a star in Canis Majoris. Uh, and it's the first time in the year when you can see it over the horizon, which is exactly around the time of the summer solstice and also exactly around the time of the floods. So they actually associated the floods, not with the sun and like the meltwater from mountains far away in Africa feeding the Nile River, which is actually what's happening. They thought it had to do with this star that they could see at night, which um, ultimately was wrong. But this star was important because it did represent these goddesses. So it is more goddess energy, but um, it's also, I mean, they did fully recognize, I mean, you know, like they were aware that the solstice is the longest day of the year. So Ra is part of it, but it's really about these goddesses and this like fertility. Even. Um, but this was a time to celebrate and sing hymns to the goddesses to make sure that this like rebirth goes smoothly. So we're kind of like cheering them on, um, but also kind of bringing in that musical connection. So that kind of does bring it to present day because they were like, absolutely music and singing were a big part of this solstice celebration but also kind of leading into the planning of it all with the more modern litha celebration um the floods arriving means that it is absolutely time to start planning the next cycle of crops um so it's not a harvest holiday it's not a planting holiday it's really a planning holiday right um and definitely something that we also are keeping in mind with our modern celebrations of Litha. Um, so it's not all fun and games. But all of that to say, uh, yes, there is this bit of restraint. And like, it's a celebration, but there is, there's just this little kernel of seriousness in the back of your mind. Um, but before we end on like the Celtic, Northern European end of things, I think we should check in with ancient Greece and Rome and see what they would have been up to around this time. So Greece, ancient Greece, has festivals to Prometheus, the firebringer, around the solstice, which absolutely makes sense. We have the symbolism of fire. The sun is literally on fire. Look it up. That's Science uh, 101. Um, yeah, also, you guys are getting a lot of free science lessons today. A lot of free science lessons. <laughs> um, but also, uh, there was a festival to Cronus around this time, a Cronalia, if you will. Um, but also, I think it's reasonable to mention here that this is one month before the Olympics would have traditionally started in ancient Greece. And this would have been a time to start planning like parties, opening ceremonies. Um, obviously, you would be very much into the season of training at this time. Um, so kind of getting ready for the Olympics, which is like the big summary kind of deal in Greece. Um, and some people say in the Roman side of things that the festivals for the Vestal Virgins uh, took place around this time in Rome, while other historians say it's closer to like Lunasa and like harvest season, Virgo season, which Virgo Virgin to me, makes a little more sense for that to be Vestal Virgin season, but also what a fun mystery. Like, when is it? Which, of course, brings us to Western Europe and the roots of the modern pagan Sabbath version of Litha. So obviously we cannot have a Celtic holiday without visiting a sacred well. It's just not going to happen. Um, but also lots to do with fire. So again, the sun is on fire. Get into it. Um, jumping through a bonfire for good luck would be a traditional part of a litha celebration, observing the just, sunset. I was going to say, just don't wear uh, clothing that's too flowy if you're yeah. going to want to partake in that. <laughs> yeah, maybe a quick um, change of clothes, you know, put on some really short shorts. Um, yeah, perhaps a nice none of these fitting. like flowing midsummer dresses. No, no, no. <laughs> and then, you know, obviously like we're not, no, we're not like fully recommending jumping through a bonfire, but like if you feel safe doing so, absolutely. Um, but observing the sunset, which would be happening very late because it's the solstice, 
um, planning out your harvest season would have been very much a part of the Celtic, Germanic, Saxon, whatever, um, solstice celebrations, because again, it's like the crops are in the field. Um, and so these celebrations would have been centered around the deities Sulis, which is the Celtic sun goddess, and Lu, who does have his own holiday Lunasa, um, but also does have a lot to do with the crops and so naturally does have this role when the crops are like literally growing in the fields. But I think the coolest thing I heard for midsummer and like sort of northern European midsummer celebrations, which again, yes, you can have a maypole, you can do flower crowns. Of course, we're outside. We're feasting on delicious cold and room temperature foods. Um, but this one was to light a chariot wheel on fire and roll it down a hill into a lake as part of the celebrations, which, awesome. But I did also read that some of them were actually quite big and purpose-made for the event. So sort of like a Burning Man, Wicker Man kind of vibe. And actually, I think it really would have been fun. But I, when, you, when they say that they were actually quite large, I do imagine like a water wheel size, like, a, you know, like the water wheel from a mill. Yeah, huge. Um, <laughs> Like a really, really big one. I, I also kind of am imagining that scene from Pirates of the Caribbean where like Jack Sparrow is like trying to run on top of a water wheel yeah. from a mill for some reason, but like that size, like truly that size. Um, and then, okay, but also with like circling back around to um, Celtic, this is when the Holly King takes over. So sort of yeah. reenacting the battle between the Holly King and the Oak King. It's like Oak King um, is kind of like losing his power on this day because after today, the days are going to be getting shorter, 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 shorter. It's the slippery slope into spooky season and then winter. So it's Holly King's time from here on out. Um, yeah. And it's I think a good way to remember it is like Litha is the last of the Sabbaths before the three harvest festivals so right. it's like this is really like the harvest festivals start with lunasa so like yeah this is your like last gasp of any other planning before it's all just like reaping what you've sown ladies and gentlemen and variations thereon but yeah you know i will say like unlike you know, like Beltane or Samhain, this is not one of those Wheel of the Year holidays where, like, the veil is thin. So this is not, like, a bit... This is not truly, like, a time for, like, divination. This is not, like, a time for, like, hand fasting. This is not really, like, a bonfire holiday, even if we're gonna be technical. Like, there is a lot of fire stuff involved. But really, it's more like a symbolic thing with, like, the sun, Rather than, again, like at Beltane, like at Samhain, where you would have these, like, huge, huge, huge bonfires. And, like, even, you know, like, burn something in edifice or whatever, but... Yeah, this one almost, like, Litha always, to me, almost feels kind of like a summer barbecue-type vibe. It, like, really and truly, like... And it's, it is one of those, again, where it's, like, it's very relaxed kind of on. But, again, yeah. there is just, like, that kernel of seriousness. Like, stuff's about to get real. You're about to be very busy. So kind of, like, enjoy it while you can. But, like, don't, don't go too hard. Like, there's going to be work to do in the fields tomorrow and for, like, yeah. several months to come. Um, which, yeah, so a little bit about historical solstice celebrations for you, which brings us to the bitter end. Um, but not quite, yeah. because I have a tarot scope. Um, yes. And so this week, I have my little cards here. Um, and I do kind of like the little, the little card for Scorpio, which I'm trying to get it centered, which is just this cute little white cat kind of booping a scorpion. Yep. Boop. Um, so we love that, but okay, so for you guys, and again, continuing this trend of like not getting to give like super cool or fun news, but we've drawn the reverse chariot for you guys this week. So um, kind of the idea here is that, so let's just say like you really want to throw yourself into like a particular project or situation 
and you like want to give it your all, but this is actually a sign that you need to do a fucking U-turn. Back the fuck up and like skirt on out of this situation because really this is like, I would say this is like the tarot equivalent of you you don't want to go down that road. Down that, <laughs> down that road. So that's oh, an old pet cemetery. You don't um, want to go down that road. You don't want to go down that road. Um, oh, but really, so you guys, and like I know, especially for people with like such a Martian mentality, like getting told that you need to stop what you're doing can kind of make you feel like you want to bang your head against a wall and or murder someone. Yeah, like don't murder someone, Scorpio. But like really take a step back and like see where this is going even like if you were in the situation where you're like ready to either put all your energy into something or quit this is your sign to fucking quit yeah sometimes it's okay to quit did you guys know that I mean it's the thing that I always like to say where it's like a no is a yes to something else and hopefully something better because you have to open up that space. Like, if you don't open up that space, then you can't take on the things that are actually good fits. Right. And um, sometimes it's good, as Tim Gunn says, to um, take an editing eye. I, I, love, love, I love what you're doing here, but please take an editing eye. <laughs> take a step Your back. Tim Gunn is impeccable. Um, but okay, you guys. So that's it. A little bit of a shorter episode this week. Because again, I... Um, you know, Shannon's got mouth pain and I uh, am being a whore and um... yeah you know y'all send me good vibes for my Invisalign journey I should be less lispy as I adjust to it but um yeah I'm, I'm my mouth is achy Nick is very very well deserving of this hoish moment a yeah. bit of a hotation going on this week and we're here for it Yes. Um, so all of that to say to all of you solstice celebrating witches out there, what do we say, Shannon? Uh, to all of you sunny summery bitches, we say blessed be bitches. Blessed be you summery bitches. Goodbye. Bye now. I do. I mean, I made, so I started some full moon water last night because I know technically the moon was full at like 7.30 this morning. So I was probably, I was like, I'll either do it Monday night or Tuesday night, whichever night I remember, um, because we're witches who work. And so I did it last night and I, I definitely put some of the full moon water into my iced coffee this morning. But anyway, um, I guess we can get started and talk Let's about do some it. of that Let's... stuff in the podcast I guess yeah I guess we could talk about some of the witchy stuff in the podcast I mean we could save it like right we could just save that and like you know have it be <clears throat> content 